the Flyers will pick it up and bring it back. Oh, what a hit by Campbell! Holy mackerel! Campbell stepped into his check in the blue line. Now they're all chasing after Campbell. It's 38 all. Bills can win it here. White puts it down. The kick is on the way, and it is good. And the Bills have won it. Tripped up, gets it to May, and over the line. He's May going in on goal. He shoots. He scores! This podcast is releasing on Monday, September 7th, which means in six days, the Buffalo Bills regular season opener against the New York Jets will take place for the 2020 NFL season. This episode is titled A New Hope, you guys, because of the idea of a new season and what that brings, the energy, the potential, the promise, the hope of a new season, but actual hope in terms of this team, actual potential faith being restored in the fan base. There is hope and potentially fulfilled expectations that can happen with this season. This is another episode of the Wagons and Warpaths podcast, your weekly Buffalo sports talk podcast, officially a Buffalo Fanatics contributor and officially a part of Project Dits. Get more exposure, more streamability through multiple partnerships. I am extremely thankful to have this podcast being picked up in several places and being broadcast from multiple locations. You can find this podcast on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can find me on Twitter at Wagons underscore Warpaths. Give me a follow on Twitter. Give me a like on Twitter. Or if those aren't your thing, as I say every week, I'm also down for interesting trades, negotiations, barters, blood oaths, um, gold or cash payments, anything that will just show your fandom your allegiance, your undying loyalty to this podcast. Again, that's what it's all about. Just that that relationship and just really solidifying that bond between podcaster, between Twitterer and Twittery. I don't know if that's right, but I don't care. It is what it is. A lot of stuff happened this past week. Originally, this episode was just going to be Some 2020 talk, where the Buffalo Bills could go, who they could be, what things are going to look like, some roster talk, and we are going to get into that. The back half of this episode will be a little bit on the 53-man official roster that was listed and some moves that came down from that. Not a full-fledged roster analysis. We've seen that across several content creators. I didn't want to go that route. I do want to go through some some things that stood out to me and some things that I'm extremely excited for, not just because they are things that I predicted and called, but things that I am actually excited for because of what they could mean. Then we're also going to take a look into the 2020 regular season, what the Bills record could look like, 
what the possibilities are, what variations we can see, what variables are going to affect what record the Bills finish with in the 2020 regular season. But I want to start off with the deal that Tredavious White inked over this weekend. Before I get into the numbers, this cannot be overstated enough. I've said it throughout several episodes this offseason. I've said it on Twitter as well. The Bills signing Tredavious White to a long-term deal, just the potential of it and just the prospect of it, and I don't say prospected in terms of a pun because he was a draft prospect at one point, all of that cannot be overstated. The Buffalo Bills are at a point now with Tredavious White, with Deion Dawkins, with Matt Milano potentially, Tremaine Edmonds, Josh Allen, Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, at some point, hopefully, Ed Oliver and A.J. Epinesa. Potentially, again, at some point with John Brown. Maybe, potentially, at some point down the road with Gabriel Davis with how he's looking. Potentially with Dawson Knox. And there's more players with that that fall in, into this bucket in this category that I'm about to start talking about. But the Buffalo Bills are finally in a position where they've drafted well and they've cultivated talent. And I say the cultivated talent point to go along with Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. Not that they weren't good football players before they came to Buffalo, but neither of them were looked at as stars in this league. And they have come to Buffalo, and they have been one of the best safety tandems in the NFL. Top five, in my opinion. Poyer, no disrespect, wasn't really anything before he came to Buffalo. Hyde was known, but he was more of a jack-of-all-trades, slot guy, more corner than safety, punt returner, kick returner at times is now a legitimate NFL safety. Tredavious White drafted at the back end of the first round, just viewed as, you know what? Good corner from LSU, DBU, solid starter, don't have to worry about it. Dude has grown into one of the best corners in the NFL, arguably the best corner in the NFL. We know the numbers and the stats and everything from last year and more interceptions than touchdowns that he gave up and his all-pro season, and just what he's done and how he's progressed. 2019 alone, 599 coverage snaps. No touchdowns allowed. I know he got beat at times. Who doesn't? Especially in today's NFL. It's hard to be a corner. But Trey is awesome. But Trey's deal, as I've alluded to, is, is part of a larger thing for me. I have watched the Buffalo Bills struggle For the heavy, heavy majority of my fandom, I was just a tiny, 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 tiny little baby during the glory days, I put that in quotes, in the 90s, when the Bills were great. I shouldn't even say glory days, because I don't know if I'd be able to handle four straight Super Bowls and four straight losses. Good Lord, I would be on the edge of a cliff with that. Holy hell. But my first real memories of the Buffalo Bills are them losing to the Jacksonville Jaguars in the playoffs as a tiny, tiny kid. The Music City Miracle. Just everything from then on being eye rolls and, oh, of course this happened to us type moments. And just hope and faith and potential that was never fulfilled or never realized or that was falsely put on a team just because of overall new season excitement or a coaching change that everyone got their hopes up for. That's not what the Bills have right now. With with Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean, the Buffalo Bills have front office and coaching leadership and stability for the first time in a very, very long time. They have player development. They bring in good players, both in terms of the draft and free agency and trades. And then when they bring those players in, they develop them. They take them from 
a B level and they raise them to a B plus or an A minus. They raise the floors and the ceilings of the players that they bring in. And that is tremendous. And now we're to a point where the Bills have a decent amount of talent. And I say decent and I'm probably not even being as as truthful and as accurate as I should be. I always like to downplay things, but the Bills have a very good amount of talent on this roster to the point now that we're looking at the Bills and thinking, okay, who can we sign? Who can we afford? I spoke about this on last week's episode. The Bills have core young talent to the point that they have to decide who they can afford to be part of that core. That happens because they've drafted well, because they have identified proper individuals, both in terms of on-field and off-the-field ability. And now they've got guys where it's like, we've got too many good people. We need to figure out who we can keep. Trey was a no-brainer. I thought the deal would get done next year. It got done over the weekend. And we're going to get into the numbers. But more than just the actual Trey signing, what it symbolizes and what it represents is a complete change in the direction of this organization. Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott, the turnaround that they have engineered in just a short amount of time in their Buffalo Bills tenure cannot be overstated. Just like this Tredavious White deal. What it means to the team and what it means to the direction of the franchise is so much bigger than just, oh, sweet, Bills re-signed a really, 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 really good player. Because in the past, maybe that wouldn't happen. Maybe the Bills would draft a guy and they'd be really good, but they wouldn't want to stay around because the culture was bad or the team sucked or the ownership was bad or the front office management was bad and they'd jump ship and they'd leave. And then they'd go have an all-pro career somewhere else or they'd win a Super Bowl somewhere else and then maybe they wouldn't say disparaging remarks about the Bills, but they wouldn't paint Buffalo as a place where people wanted to go. Now it's a destination for people. Josh Norman said it. That where the Bills are right now in the NFL versus where they were when he came into the league or even in 2015 during his all-pro season, it's night and day in terms of how the players see the Bills and the city of Buffalo. It is now a team that people want to go to and play for, and it's a city that people want to play in, and that's massive. And this trade deal is a part of that larger picture, drafting and identifying and bringing in quality talent and then coaching it and nurturing it and developing it and retaining it is how you build success and sustainability in any sport, but especially in the NFL. It's awesome. It's extremely exciting. And the deal, four years, $69 million extension through the 2025 season, which will be his age 30 season, the average annual value during that extension time is $17.25 million. Roughly exactly what was predicted on this podcast over the last several weeks. So going off of the spot track market value, $55 million guaranteed for Trey, which is the most ever in a cornerback contract. The new money in that contract, again, the 69 mil is also the highest ever for a corner. What's really great about this deal, the cap hit in 2021 stays pretty much the same as it would have if he didn't get a new deal and we were just going off of what his fifth year option would have been for his rookie deal. That $10.2 million cap hit in 2021, the fact that it's not going up, even though the Bills inked him to this deal, that can also not be overstated because we anticipate 
as we mentioned on last week's episode. That salary cap could go down around $175 million, which is a massive, massive, massive drop from the anticipated over $200 million cap that we thought we were going into with 2021 based on what the cap is for 2020 at 198 So the fact that Bean got this deal done and managed to keep the cap hit the same for 2021 gives them more flexibility in a reduced cap year, which is great. Another great point about this deal, as pointed out by Joe Marino from the Draft Network, that's an awesome follow. Joe is great. The Draft Network is great. Give them a follow. Give him a follow. As Joe pointed out, and as I retweeted and commented on, to which he liked, thanks for that, Joe. This deal gets done before Jalen Ramsey gets his deal done, before Marshawn Lattimore gets his deal done, and before Marlon Humphrey gets his deal done. Those corners combined with Trey before Trey signed. The thought process was they were going to be engaging in some level or some sort of one-upsmanship. And I don't necessarily mean that in a negative way. I just mean it in terms of, okay, so-and-so signed a deal for $1.00. All right, I need to sign a deal for $1.25. Oh, so-and-so just signed a deal for $125. Okay, I need to sign a deal for $150. Oh, the deals were what? $1.125, All right, I want $2. We don't have to worry about that with Trey. Trey got to set the market now. Ramsey, Lattimore, and Humphrey can worry about that after. There's no posturing now with Trey. We don't have to worry about him talking to anyone else and figuring out, well, like, how much money are you going to get? What is your contract looking like? Okay, I think I should get this much. We don't have to worry about any of that. There is no, well, so-and-so just reset the corner market. I'm better than that guy. I need more than that. We don't have to worry about any of that. With Ramsey, Lattimore, and Humphrey, there's a good chance that their money will trump trays, potentially in some form, whether it's total value, average annual value, guarantees, some kind of something. Not because they're better than Trey, but that's just how market setting works. We've seen it with offensive linemen. We saw it with Mitch Morse last year coming to Buffalo. We saw it with Kelly this year for the Colts. Dudes who are really good at certain positions, they get a new contract. And if you're riding the hot hand and they're the flavor of the month, not that Trey is, and I don't mean that as a disparaging remark against someone, but dudes reset the market when they sign new deals. You even saw it with the Deshaun Watson deal. If you break it down over... I believe the first four or five years, he's making more money per year than Patrick Mahomes. I don't think Deshaun Watson is a better quarterback than Patrick Mahomes, but you see a deal like Mahomes, and that sets the market. The quarterbacks who are somewhat in that range, not that anybody is because I think Mahomes is head and shoulders above every other quarterback in the NFL, but other good quarterbacks who are viewed as franchise quarterbacks who need to sign deals will then sign deals better than that previous best deal. We've seen it with Matthew Stafford and Derek Carr, and we saw it with first picks in the NFL draft before we had the new CBA and the agreement on draft salaries and compensation. Every person who was the first pick in the draft, especially if it was a quarterback, suddenly became the highest paid player in the league. Jamarcus Russell signs a deal. He's the highest paid player in the league. Sam Bradford gets drafted, signs a deal, highest paid player in the league. That's not sustainable, first and foremost. But we used to see it across the board with the NFL draft, and now we see it now in free agency. A guy sets the market, another guy gets a deal, he'll set the market, so on and so forth. Byron Jones had a massive market-setting level contract for corner for the Miami Dolphins this year, and now Trey is ahead of his deal, and we'll continue to see that. And the good news about Trey getting his deal done before Ramsey and Lattimore and Humphrey, we don't have to worry about anything. 
in getting Trey's deal done. We don't have to worry about, oh, Humphrey just signed a deal with an average annual value of 18. Oh, man, that means Trey's average annual value is going to go up. We don't have to worry about any of that. Trey's deal is done. And it's exciting to see him stay in Buffalo. Trey is the cornerstone of that defense, all pro last year, the snaps, without the touchdowns, with the interceptions. He's a leader. He's awesome in the community. He's awesome on social media. He's a person that was brought in and was homegrown, developed, and trained, and cultivated. And it's extremely exciting to see him stay around. And to be honest, I think that deal's pretty affordable for his level. You can't, I don't want to say you can't put a price on a corner in today's NFL, because you literally can. But corner is a premium, premium position in today's NFL. With how progressive and nuanced NFL passing offenses are in today's NFL, and with how the NFL rules heavily, heavily favor the offense and wide receivers and quarterbacks in particular, your dudes that cover, your dudes that are trying to stop the opposition's passing game are massively, massively important, and the Bills have a very good one in Tredavious White. And it's also awesome that he's homegrown and developed and loves the city and loves the team and loves the community, and we get to keep him, and he's great. And that's very exciting. Very exciting. Also very exciting, Bills 53-man roster. I'm going to go through it now because some things are of note to me. Starting with the quarterbacks, Josh Allen, Matt Barkley, Jake Fromm. Fromm did not have an ideal training camp, we'll say, to put it lightly. But he made the team. They stuck with him, carrying three quarterbacks. Davis Webb was cut and then re-signed to the practice squad, so good for him. Running back, not many surprises here at all. Singletary, Moss, Yeldon, Taiwan Jones, and Reggie Gilliam. Patrick DeMarco placed on season-ending IR with a neck issue. That opened up the door for Gilliam, who is a Bills Mafia Twitter darling, and social media and internet, darling, I'm excited to see what he can do. I feel really bad for DeMarco, but I was I was legit on the fence in terms of Gilliam or DeMarco at the fullback position. I'm very intrigued by Gilliam's tight end designation and to see what he could do in an H-back role. We already know what he can do coming out of the backfield, so I'm excited to see what he does. The rest, Taiwan Jones, he's a special team guy. Yeldon probably isn't going to dress on game day. We'll see. Singletary and Moss, tremendous combo. Nothing really to write home about there. Tight end, Dawson Knox, Tyler Croft, Lee Smith survives again. Jason Kroon was cut. Tommy Sweeney put on the pup. Wide receiver. This is one I had my eye on all offseason. Bills fans and content creators had their eyes on all offseason. Who was going to make the cut for wide receiver? And we saw who made the cut. The official cut, the 53-man roster cut, Stephon Diggs, John Brown, Cole Beasley, Gabriel Davis, Isaiah McKenzie, and Isaiah Hodgins. Duke Williams was cut, Robert Foster was cut, and Andre Roberts was cut. Now the expectation is that Andre Roberts will re-sign with the Buffalo Bills, as will safety Dean Marlowe. Both of them were cut, but it's believed that they will be back on the team after the Bills make their IR designation move, so... Surprising at first, and then when the reports came out of what is actually going on, it was less surprising. So Roberts will be back. Duke Williams was signed to the practice squad. Robert Foster ended up making his way to Green Bay, so he's gone. I'm saddened by that. I like Foster. I thought he had tremendous potential. I would take Robert Foster over Duke Williams every day of the week. 
potentially that's just me. I know a lot of people are divided on the Foster Williams thought and take process and idea, but I'm, I'm team Foster over Duke every day of the week. What's really cool about the wide receivers that made the 53-man roster, again, nothing too shocking. Stephon Diggs was going to make it. Brown was going to make it. Beasley was going to make it. Gabriel Davis had, like, the greatest training camp in the history of training camp, so he was going to make it. Isaiah McKenzie has a niche role that is fun and is exciting and adds a dynamic and an element of creativity to the offense that made him, I don't want to say a high-potential guy to make the roster, but... I thought he was going to make the roster. Isaiah Hodgins is one that I am so excited about as I clench my teeth and say it through my teeth. I love his upside. I love his upside. A 67.7 catch rate in college. For reference, Lamb had a catch rate in college of 66%. Judy had a catch rate of 75%. So Hodgins is close in that area and even better than Lamb. A 92% completion percentage in the red zone to Isaiah Hodgins last year. That was tops in all of college football. 13 targets. He caught 12 of them, and 9 of those 12 went for touchdowns. That's why he was also second in college football in the highest percentage of scoring touchdowns on red zone targets with 69%, only behind T. Higgins from Clemson. He had 141.2 receiver rating in the red zone. Again, only behind T. Higgins. His career red zone numbers, 22 catchable balls thrown his way, 21 catches on those 22 catchable balls with no drops. He also had the highest contested catch rate in college football over the last two years at 67.4%. His route running is tremendous. His hands are tremendous. He has only three drops on 179 catchable passes in his entire NCAA career. When you've got a quarterback like Josh Allen, who at times struggles with his mechanics and his delivery and his accuracy, combining that with just the overall difficulty in the NFL of catching a football and having people draped on you and being in coverage and guys trying to stop you from being able to catch the ball, to have a guy who will catch the ball no matter where you put it is awesome. To also have a guy who is that proficient and prolific in the red zone is also great. The Bills were not a great red zone team last year in terms of scoring touchdowns. Case in point, there are several, but the biggest one and the most recent one was the last football game they played against the Houston Texans. The Bills dominated that game for the first two and a half quarters, and the difference was... They got field goals when they could have gotten touchdowns, and the Texans got touchdowns when they could have gotten touchdowns. And the Bills lost because of that. If you get field goals instead of touchdowns, you have a higher chance of losing that football game. That's not tremendous insight. That's not something that only I believe or that I've discovered. It's just basic math. It's basic probability. If you get into the red zone, you need to put it in the fucking end zone. And it hurt the Bills in that playoff game. It hurt them in other games throughout the year. They had times where they could have put teams away. They had games where they could have won that they lost because they got three when they could have gotten seven. To have a guy who functions well in the red zone in Isaiah Hodgins and pairing him up with a strong running game and other weapons in the offense is great. And it helps Josh Allen. 
and it helps the offense. He fills a role and a need that the Bills had. He's also a bigger receiver. We know about his height and his length. He adds a dynamic and an ability to this team. I'm really excited for what he can bring. I know all the talk was about Gabriel Davis, and rightfully so. He, I don't want to say put on a clinic, but he had a very strong camp. Very, very, very strong camp. Caught a slant, took it to the house against the starters, had a bunch of downfield catches, beautifully tracked the ball in the air, things where he was just running with his head down, keeping his head down until he got to the top of the route, and then he looked for the ball, found it, tracked it, catching with his hands, making athletic catches, tough catches, strong. Gabriel Davis looks great. And because of that, the focus was on him more. But I was keeping an eye out for Hodgins. I really liked his game at Oregon State. I like his game now. I like the potential. You got a guy who catches everything that comes his way. And I know there's a little, I don't want to say trepidation when it comes to that, because I think roughly the same thing was said about Zay Jones when he came in. Oh man, he catches everything. And then he wasn't catching everything. But Hodgins is a better route runner than Zay Jones. And I like his length and his style better than Zay Jones. And we'll see what he can do. It's extremely encouraging that he made the roster, given the rest of what the Bills had. To now have him and Stephon Diggs, who we know catches everything and runs tremendous routes and wins contested catches and can win downfield. Add that with John Brown, who's a burner, and Cole Beasley, who's excellent out of the slot, and McKenzie, who has tremendous speed and explosion and versatility and gadgetry potential, and what we've seen from Gabriel Davis. Adding Hodgins to that mix is just another unique dynamic that is added to this receiver grouping, and you cannot have enough of that in the NFL. It keeps defenses guessing, it keeps defenses off balance, and it adds another piece and weapon for Josh Allen. And again, the catching part is massive. I know... It may sound silly, but you need dudes who are able to win at any point, who can win in a contested catch scenario. Hodgins can do that. If you just get it near him, it doesn't matter if he's wide open or if it's low or if it's high or if it's too wide or if someone's draped on him, he's coming down with it. And that's awesome. Also, his route running is tremendously underrated, as I've stated multiple times through this offseason. I'm extremely excited for what Isaiah Hodgins will do in a Buffalo Bills uniform. Offensive line, no real surprises there. Deion Dawkins, Quentin Spain, Mitch Morse, Feliciano, who's going to IR, Cody Ford, Ty Nisecki, Brian Winters, Daryl Williams, Ryan Bates, and Ike Bodker. I want to see Cody Ford at guard. That's all I have to say about the offensive line. I know there were some rumblings throughout the offseason as to Trent Murphy's potential, whether or not he was going to be cut, the money that could be saved and could be rolled over in the next year, yada, yada. I like that Trent Murphy made this team. I like it a lot. Ed Oliver, Vernon Butler, Harrison Phillips, Quentin Jefferson, Jerry Hughes, Trent Murphy, Mario Addison, A.J. Epinesa, and Daryl Johnson round out your defensive line. I like Trent Murphy. I don't like him for the contract that he signed. I don't think he's played up to it. But in a season like this, where the Bills have the potential to make some noise... I think the depth that he brings and the stability that he brings is worth it. Also, he's good on the goal line. If you go back and watch the film against Cleveland where the Bills had that eight-play stand on the goal line against the Browns in Cleveland, he was a large part of that. He was blowing up the right side of the line on several of those plays. He does a lot of things that go unnoticed. I know he doesn't get a lot of tackles. 
He doesn't get a lot of sacks, and sometimes he takes too wide of a route in getting to the quarterback. I understand all of that, but Bills have a chance to make some noise this year, and I don't think Epinesa is NFL-ready to lock that position down enough, and neither is Daryl Johnson. I think Trent Murphy adds a calming, stabilizing factor to the defensive end position, and in rotation with the rest of that defensive line, with those other eight players that I named, the Bills have a tremendously versatile and deep defensive line. And I like that move there. Linebackers. I'm always kind of meh on the linebackers. Tremaine Edmonds is awesome. Matt Milano is awesome. After that, I'm comfortable with Klein and Medikavich. Tyrell Dodson made the roster. Delshawn Phillips made it. Boshan Joseph was cut. Corey Thompson was cut, as was Andre Smith. We're going to see more practice squad moves come from those guys as we see. I'm going to go through the practice squad stuff at the end of naming this roster here. But nothing really, again, too much to write home about. We figured Klein was going to make it. He's going to be that third linebacker, filling in that Lorenzo Alexander coverage role, potential blitzing aspect. He's the next man up, if anything, God forbid, were to happen to Edmonds or Milano. But you got a top-heavy grouping in the linebackers, and nothing too much to write home about there. Corners, Trey White, All-Pro, Josh Norman, Levi Wallace, Taron Johnson, and Siren Neal. Again, Nothing too much to write home about. Basically what we expected. Safety, Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, Jaquan Johnson. Special teams, Corey Bajorquez, not a fan. Tyler Bass and Reed Ferguson. That officially rounds out your 53-man roster. And the Buffalo Bills practice squad have already alluded to several of them. Offensive lineman, Trey Adams. Tight end, Nate Becker. Offensive lineman, Evan Bame. Defensive end, Brian Cox Jr. Jason Kroom, tight end, made the practice squad. Defensive back, Dane Jackson. Cam Lewis, good to see them both come back on the practice squad. Defensive end, Mike Love. Offensive lineman, Victor Salako. Linebacker, Andre Smith. Defensive back, mainly safety, Josh Thomas. Christian Wade, fan favorite, running back. Offensive lineman, Brandon Walton. Quarterback, Davis Webb. Antonio Williams, running back, brought back from the, to the practice squad. Wide receiver, Duke Williams. And defensive tackle, Justin Zimmer. That rounds out your Buffalo Bills practice squad. I don't think there's too many surprises in everything there. I think wide receiver was the biggest one. Corner was another one, too. I think there was a potential for Cam Lewis or Jackson to make the final roster, especially as Norman got banged up and then we had an injury scare with Wallace. But the Bills have never gone too corner heavy on game day roster or 53-man roster. So I don't think... Anything is tremendously surprising there. Dean Marlowe cut from the safeties, but as mentioned earlier, the expected move is that he will be re-signed along with Andre Roberts once the Bills make their IR designations and free up those two roster spots, so they'll come back. Also really awesome to see is Jaquan Johnson making the roster again. Special team standout last year, a guy that the coaching staff and Bean rave about and love. I loved him at Miami. I hope he can make an impact more regularly in the NFL. I'm excited to see what his potential brings. And that rounds out the 53-man roster and the practice squad roster. And now we get to the point where it's 2020 schedule prediction time. I've gone back and forth on this a lot. Mainly because, as my Twitter bio says, I am not superstitious, but I am a little stitious, Michael Scott. But in all seriousness, I am very superstitious. And I hate predicting things. I also hate getting my hopes up. I've been hurt too many times as a Bills fan and as a Bills analyst and predictor. I like to underplay. I like to undersell and overdeliver. 
I've got the Bills going anywhere from nine and seven to twelve and four. And there's several games, several, several games that are toss-ups for me and are hard. Let's start with week one. Bills open up against the Jets. I think that's a win. That has to be a win. For the love of God, that has to be a win. No Mosley, no Jamal Adams. The Jets, for all intents and purposes, are a dumpster fire. Gase sucks as a head coach. Darnold sees ghosts, although I think Darnold is better than he gets credit for. And for all the memes and jokes, I think he's better than all of that. But this should be a win. The Bills need to come out and win this game. This cannot be anything other than a 1-0 start. This has to be a win. If it's not, I am drinking bleach. Rough. Week 2 against Miami. I'm really torn on this one. As we will see throughout this entire schedule prediction... Bills have a tough schedule, top four in terms of difficulty. The AFC East as a whole, Bills, Jets, Pats, Dolphins, have a very difficult schedule. This one's tough. I like Miami's offseason a lot. I like Flores as a head coach. What he was able to do last year with the Dolphins roster was on par with squeezing blood from a stone. He did a really good job. He's got a good mind. He rallies the troops. And they added good pieces. I thought they overpaid for Byron Jones, but I still liked it. I thought the Van Noy signing was a very strong signing. He was someone I wanted to see come to Buffalo. I liked their draft, although I thought they reached for Jackson in the first round. I think Tua, if he stays healthy, Tua's awesome. I can't say any, I can't say any rookie, anyone, 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 is a lock or a guarantee to be something. You just don't know until you see them take snaps in the NFL. But I think Tua... If he stays healthy, is going to be a top 10 quarterback in the NFL, maybe top five. He's great. Fitzy's good enough to make some noise. I think the Bills come away with the win in this one, but I think it's going to be hard. If the Bills lost this game, I wouldn't be surprised. This is one that I have starred and marked where it could be a loss, and if it were, I wouldn't be overly shocked. I'll be disappointed, but I wouldn't be shocked. As of now, I have the Bills getting this win. Bills at 2-0 after the first two weeks. Week three, the Rams come to town. I'm giving the Bills the win in this one, mainly because I think the blueprint is out for how to fuck up the Rams ever since they got worked in the Super Bowl. I want to see what their running game looks like. I don't have a ton of faith in Jared Goff. I don't think he's anything really to write home about. I know Aaron Donald is a monster, but I think we can do enough to kind of course correct for him. Not having Corey Littleton hurts their defense more than I think is talked about. And also West Coast teams, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of this, West Coast teams come to the East Coast. From 2003 to 2018, West Coast teams have gone 80 and 133 on the East Coast. That's a 37.6 win percentage. I'm giving the Bills the win in this one. The Bills start out 3-0. and Week 4 against the Raiders. I'm giving them a win. I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm giving them a win. The Bills start out 4-0. But this is another one that if the Bills lost, I would not be surprised. I think the Raiders are a better team than people give them credit for. I like their offense, even with Tyrell Williams going down for the year. I like Ruggs. I like Waller. I like Renfro. I love Edwards. That was a tremendous draft pick. Josh Jacobs fits very good in their offense. Their offensive line is tremendous. Their secondary is banged up, so I want to see what they look like come week four. I know the Bills are an East Coast team going to the West, but I think their roster is strong enough 
and their coaching is good enough to beat the Raiders in Vegas. But again, like this, if the Bills lost, I wouldn't be shocked. So I have the Bills at 4-0 right now, but if they were 2-2, two two, I wouldn't be in a bad way. Next week, Tennessee Titans in Tennessee. Part of the reason I'm nervous about this game is one, Tennessee isn't a terrible team. But after this game, the Bills play on a short week on a Thursday night against the Kansas City Chiefs. That's going to be a game that, in theory, if the Bills are 4-0 and or 3-1 and or something like that, that's going to be a game that everyone's going to be talking about. The Bills against the Chiefs, Allen versus Mahomes, you know, two young quarterbacks. You have the Chiefs who are the Super Bowl champions. The Bills trying to prove themselves against them. It's in Buffalo. If there's fans allowed at this time, it's going to be a raucous, crazy atmosphere. Even if there's only five fans allowed in the stadium, it's still going to be nuts and loud. That Chiefs game is going to get a lot of attention. And because of all that, the Bills might get caught up in that. They're playing on a Sunday. They have to play four days later against the Chiefs. It's easy to kind of lose your head in that moment and lose focus. But I think the Bills will handle that decently. I also don't believe in the Titans. I know they're a good team, I guess. I don't believe in Ryan Tannehill. I don't think their strategy of only passing it 20 times a game will win. They're not the same team as last year. I think the Bills load the box to shut down Henry. We got to see what Allen does against the defense. Last year's game was tough. But the Titans should have won that game had they not had me as their kicker. I think the Bills get the win here. I'm going 5-0. and 5-0 and for the Buffalo Bills. I can't believe I'm saying this out loud. I still do not believe it. I'm saying 5-0 and for the Buffalo Bills right now. But this is another one that if the Bills lost, I wouldn't be surprised. If the Bills were 2-3 and here after the first five weeks, I'm not in a panic. Next week against the Chiefs, this is a loss for me. I know Trey is awesome, and the secondary is awesome, but I don't know how we match up with the Chiefs. And when I say I don't know, I mean I know, but I don't like it. I think the Chiefs' offense has too much speed for the Bills' secondary. Trey is awesome, but he can get beat on the deep route because he is not great with long-distance speed. Hyde and Poyer are also not very long distance fast, and that is what the Chiefs are. Mahomes is amazing. This is going to be a tremendous test, but I got this as a loss. Next week against the Jets, it's a win. So officially, I have the Bills at 6-1, and one. but if they had a couple less wins and more losses because of the tough games earlier in the year, I wouldn't be distraught, or I wouldn't be surprised either. Next week, Bills, home against the Pats. I have this one as a loss. I think the Bills split against the Pats, no matter what. Whether they win the away game, win the home game, it doesn't matter. I think they go one and one against the Pats. So I'm going to say this one is a loss. Six and two. Next week, home against the Seahawks. Seattle travels to the East very well and plays in the East very well. They're also a very good football team. Very good offense. Jamal Adams now on that defense. I have this as a loss. I have the Bills officially here at 6-3. and three. Next week, the Bills in Arizona. Bills win 7-3. and three. If they lost, I wouldn't be completely surprised, but I wouldn't be pleased. This is a winnable game. I still don't believe in Arizona's defense too much. I think you can mess with Kyler Murray. We've seen Hop versus Trey, and for the most part, Trey's gotten the better of him. The Arizona speed on offense, I'm a little worried about. 
but I think this is a game the Bills can win. The travel also concerns me a bit. All of that added together means, again, I wouldn't be completely shocked if they lost, but I think they get the win here, 7-3. and three. Next week, the Chargers come to Buffalo, 8-3. and three. I don't care, Tyrod or Herbert, doesn't matter who's starting, they're not beating the Bills in Buffalo. Whether there's fans or not, Chargers aren't getting that done. Chargers lose, Bills win, Bills are 8-3 and three at this point. Next week, Bills, Monday night at the 49ers. I'm giving this a loss. The Niners are a beast. They are an absolute beast. Their running game scares me. And not that the Bills are a bad run defense, but I think we have the potential to get gouged a little bit with their running attack. Their receivers are also underestimated. It's in San Fran. It's travel. It's prime time. I'm going to say the Bills lose this one. Next week, Bills at home against the Steelers. This one scares me. The Steelers are a big wild card for me. I don't know what Big Ben is going to look like coming back. Everyone on the Steelers' offense underperformed last year. Everyone. I also think their defense overperformed massively with the amount of turnovers they got and how they got them. I don't think either of those things are likely to repeat. I don't think the Steelers' offense is going to be as bad as it was last year, and I don't think the D is going to be as good as it was last year. And if that's the case, how good are they? What do they look like? I think the Bills get this win regardless. I think the Bills are 9-4 and four at this point. Next week, the Bills are going to Denver. Bills win this, 10-4. and four. I don't think Drew Locke is as good as every Denver fanboy wants you to think he is. And for all the people saying Drew Locke is better than Josh Allen, false. And I'm not just saying that because I think Josh Allen is great or immaculate. I love the weapons on Denver. Fant. Judy and Hamler. Hamler's banged up. Cortland Sutton. Oof. Locke has weapons. You got to go to Denver. You got to play in that thin air. Not an easy place to play. But I'm giving the Bills the win in this one. Next week, Bills against the Pats. They're splitting. I had them losing the other one. I have them winning this one. 11-4. and four. Last week of the year, Bills home against the Dolphins. I think the Bills sweep Miami. If they win the first one... The first one is the one that I have as a toss-up. Last week, week 17, unless there's some weird, like, already clinched scenario and they're benching dudes, I think the Bills are winning the finale against Miami in Buffalo. The first one is the one I'm most concerned about, but I'm concerned about both. And if you go through that whole list, right now I have the Bills at 12-4. and four. I could see them being anywhere from 9-7 and seven to 12-4. and four. I think the Raiders game has the potential to go either way. Same thing for the Titans game. Same thing for both Pats games. Same thing for the Seattle game. I have the Bills losing to Seattle, but I think they could potentially win. Arizona, I have them as a win. They could lose. The Niners, I have them as a loss. They could win. There are several 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Nine of the Bills games, really 10, including the first game against Miami. 10 of the games could really go either way. The Bills have a very tough schedule, and it's so hard to see what everyone's going to do without seeing what everyone has done because we've had limited training camp footage and we've had no preseason. As of right now, the Bills have the fourth hardest schedule in the NFL, as I mentioned. But again, that's all based on last year's winning percentage and numbers and things like that. So it easily could be, I don't know, by mid-year, we could be looking at the Bills having like the 17th hardest schedule or something like that, so that changes. But as of right now, it looks tough. They have tough games on the road, tough games at home, 
West Coast teams traveling to Buffalo, Buffalo traveling to the West Coast. There's a lot of variables to consider. The Bills need to win the division this year. We've said it all offseason. We said it when the schedule came out. We said it when the Bills got Stephon Diggs. We said it when Tom Brady left. The Bills have to win the division this year. If not now, when? But it's not going to be easy. There are more than a handful of games. More than half of the Bills games this year are not straight toss-ups, but I would say percentages where you're looking at 60-40 to 50-50, depending on how the season progresses. As of now, they're looking like 60-40, 50-50. That's obviously going to change. We don't know if someone for any one of these teams or the Bills, God forbid, knock on wood, goes down and gets hurt, or teams are just playing bad, or people are in bad form, or it's the early part of the year, so teams are struggling. They haven't found their identity. We don't know who gets hot at what time and who gets into what rhythm. But the Bills have 10 games where they could really go in either direction. I have the Bills at 12 and 4 as of right now, but I think they could go anywhere from 9 and 7 to 12 and 4. Hmm. I'm still even looking at it. I just hate I hate jinxing things. I'm superstitious. It's going to be tough. Even that Titans game. I don't like Tennessee. Not to, I don't mean like I don't like them. Like, I don't think they're as good. I know they went to the AFC Championship, and I know it may sound ridiculous to be like, what do you mean you don't think they're good? But Henry and Tannehill, A.J. Brown had a great year last year, but I don't know if that's sustainable with his yards after catch. He had a ridiculous season yet last year where every time he just caught the ball, he was running at least like 40 yards after the catch. The defense is going to be a little different, but now they got Clowney. He had a great year the last time he was under Vrabel, so maybe he looks a little bit better. But we also don't know how he's looked at all because he hasn't been in training camp. He hasn't been with anyone because he just signed, and he's coming in somewhat cold. But by the time the Bills play the Titans, he should be in rhythm, and he should be in form, and he should be able to find his footing. There's a lot of variables here. I'm putting the Bills at 12-4. and four. And I'm saying it, and I feel like it's going to be wrong. I feel like 10-6 and 6 or 11-5 and 5 is much more realistic. But I think anywhere from 9-7 and 7 to 12-4 and 4 is where the Bills fall. I think they get a wild card spot at the very least, but they should win the division. If the Bills get 10 wins, or especially 11, the Bills are winning this division. And that's what we need to hope for. And that's been a new hope. You guys, I hope you like this episode. If you like this episode, please rate and review and subscribe to the podcast. Please give me a follow on Twitter. Please tell all your family and friends and loved ones and pets and animals and enemies and random people that you see on the street about how awesome this podcast is and how awesome my Twitter content is and about how handsome I sound, even though that's irrelevant to how good the podcast is. Just, you know, kind words, positive stuff, even bad stuff, you know, all press is good press. Hope you and your family and friends and loved ones are staying safe. Find me on Twitter at wagons underscore warpaths. Find this podcast on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Search wagons and warpaths. The next time we speak, the Bills will have played a regular season NFL game. Hopefully it was a win. I'll see you next week. Thank you for riding with me again on this one.